Love doesn't force itself on others. It doesn't seek to control and manipulate, but instead comes underneath and encourages and helps people to become different. And, uh, and we saw how love lays down its life, lays down its own rights for others, and how love sees people as valuable, and how love is vulnerable, and it sees the best in others. And, and, um, and we're going to continue looking at what love looks like as we look at the rest of Paul's letter. And it's, it's really appropriate on Father's Day, because dads who are here this morning, your number one job is to love well. That is your number one job. Um, and in fact, that's all of our jobs, right? To love God with all of our strength and, and also to love our neighbors as ourselves. Love is the thing that we, are, that we should be about more than anything else. And, um, and as we look at, at uh, Paul's letter here, remember he's writing to Philemon who, who had a slave who ran away and, and even maybe stole from him. And Paul's writing to Philemon to... To, and, and he sends his slave, Onesimus, back to Philemon with the letter. Um, and he's asking that Philemon forgives him, reconciles with him, treats him as a brother, treats him as a free person even, potentially setting him free. Um, these are some big, big asks by Paul in that culture. And, uh, and in the context of all this, we see how Paul is... is his entire letter, you, you see love just overflowing um, in the way that he writes to Philemon and the way that he talks about Onesimus. Um, he's a man who's overflowing with love and he teaches us what it means to love well. Um, and, and specifically in this passage, um, he shows us more than anything the cost of love. What is love going to cost us? So listen to Philemon verses 17 to 25. As Paul writes, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us now to be still. We pray that you would still our hearts, that you would help us to surrender to you, to surrender to your word, to surrender to your love, that we might be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I... uh, used to hate gift shops. I despised gift shops. You know, the, the, the stores in any like zoo, when you go to the zoo, there's always a gift shop there. Or when you go to an amusement park, there's a gift shop there. Or you go to a museum and there's a gift shop there. Any place you would take your family, you would take your kids to, there's always a gift shop, right? 
And uh, Kim would get really frustrated with me um, when our big kids were little, when we would go to the zoo or something, and I'd be like, and, and we'd always, always find ourselves in the gift shop, you know? And uh, I would be grumpy and annoyed. I'd be like, didn't we spend enough money just getting into the zoo to see the lemurs? Do we have to get a stuffed lemur as well? And I'm like just grumpy and following the kids around, like constantly looking vigilantly at the price tags of everything that they were looking at. I was always good at math, but I got really good at math when we were in gift shops because I was like calculating how much is this going to cost? How much, what's the total bill going to be when we buy all of our stuffed lemurs and anything else, you know, that we get at the gift shop? I used to hate gift shops and, and I know it frustrated Kim. Um, and I've, I've grown a lot. I've grown a lot. I honestly, I regret, as we think about, this is Father's Day, right? I regret the fact that I was more obsessed with what it was going to cost to bring my kids joy than I was obsessed about bringing my kids joy. And uh, that's on me. I, I, I'm, I regret that, absolutely. And I have grown. I have grown. I, I, I don't, when we're in gift shops, I accept it. I don't get as grumpy anymore. I don't get grumpy really at all. I still look at the price tags. <laughs> because I want to know how much is this going to cost. And you have to draw a line somewhere, right? You have to draw a line somewhere, or you end up coming home with a $100 Infinity Gauntlet from the Guardians of the Galaxy ride in Disney World. Tyler, please don't tell me you got the $100 Infinity Gauntlet when you guys were down there last week. Um, and, and so you, you, you still, you know, there's, there, but I, I honestly, I regret the fact that I was more obsessed with the cost than I was obsessed with bringing joy and, and really loving my kids in that way. Um, and I know I'm, I'm not alone. I'm sure I'm not alone. I know that there are plenty of you who look at price tags in gift shops, probably, right? Um, and you get stressed out, maybe. But even if you don't, I think that, uh, you know, my behavior in the gift shops is a real picture of the way that we all look at the price tag of what it's going to take to love other people in our daily lives. We're constantly calculating, how much is this gonna cost us? How much is it gonna cost me to love the people around me? Um, we may not really think about it in those words. Um, and you can debate about whether buying a stuffed lemur is loving or not, but I believe we all struggle with the cost of loving people around us. We all struggle with it. And, and it's not just about money, right? I mean, of course, we do, we do um, express love through the use of our money and how we help people or spend on people, things like that. But it, it, there's also all sorts of other currencies that we use that we calculate the cost of. I mean, isn't that maybe the, the most valuable currency to a lot of us is time. How much time is this going to take if I'm really going to give help to this person or sit with this person and, and listen to them and pay attention to them and care about them? How much, how much time, how much emotional energy is this going to take to, to care for this person and love this person. Um, and so I think a lot of us, we, we struggle with the cost of loving people. And maybe we obsess over how much it's going to cost. We get stressed about how much it might cost. Or we're just kind of cheap. And we don't, we don't spend as much as we could or should in the efforts to love people. And so as, as we look at these last verses... Um, a couple times, Paul uses the idea of owing something, right? He talks about what Onesimus owes Philemon, and he talks about how Philemon owes him his very self. And I think in light of that, Paul 
shows us, he teaches us a little bit about how much love really costs. How much are we called to spend if we're going to love people well, okay? And so I just want to look at three things. The first thing I want to look at is, is the fact that love, when we think about the cost of love, love takes responsibility for other people's debts, Love takes responsibility for other people's debts. Love takes on other people's debts as as our own. As Paul writes to Philemon, he literally takes on Onesimus' debt. He says in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is implying the fact that maybe Onesimus, when he left Philemon, he stole from him possibly. Maybe he took something valuable. Maybe he took money from him. And what does Paul do? He literally takes Onesimus' debt to Philemon as his own. He says, I'm going to repay it. Charge it to my account, Philemon. I don't, I don't care. Whatever he owes you, I will repay it. He even, you know, it's, it's a literal I owe you, he writes here, right? I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Paul takes Onesimus' debt as his own. And he says, I'm going to pay it off. I'm going to pay it off. And it's not even just like the, the money part. I mean, he says, if he's wronged you at all, charge that to my account. Paul, in a sense, he, he associates with himself with Onesimus in such a way that he says, Philemon, no matter how angry, angry you are at him, no matter how much he's offended you, take it out on me. Take it out on me. And that's what love does, right? Love takes another person's debt and makes it our own. We take responsibility for what other people owe. We take responsibility for... We, we take other people's problems become our own problems. We take responsibility for them to pay them off with whatever currency is needed. That's what love does. To love someone is to take their problems and assume responsibility for them, especially the things that they can't take responsibility for themselves or maybe the things that are even their own fault. It means paying with your time and your effort. It's not just saying, oh, you got yourself into this mess. Now you're going to have to deal with it. It's, uh, it's shouldering the burden of somebody else's need. You know? Maybe it's helping them with a project at their home that they can't deal with on their own. Um, maybe it's just sitting with them and listening to them and sharing the emotional struggle of their heartbreak, even if their heartbreak is a result of their own decisions. It's sitting with people and, and caring for them and loving them, taking their problems as your own. And absolutely, this applies to forgiving people. Because when you forgive somebody, when somebody offends you, when somebody hurts you, when you forgive them, what that means is you're going to take responsibility. You're going to take and pay off the debt of the hurt that they caused you. You're going to absorb that debt, in a sense. And you're not going to make them pay it. right? That's, what, that's a big part of what forgiveness is. I'm not going to make you pay. I'm going to absorb it. I'm going to pay with my own emotional capital. Um, you know, when, when uh, our big kids were small, they broke a lot of windows in our garage. Our garage has a lot of windows. And uh, I'm going to just name names. Silas was the worst culprit out of all of them. <laughs> he broke more windows than anybody. 
And, you know, to forgive Silas, to love Silas was, and, and the other kids who broke windows, to say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and I'm going to go order a new pane of like, plexiglass now. I'm not putting any more glass in that thing. <laughs> and I'm going to pay for it. I'm not going to make you pay. And I'm not going I'm, I'm to bring, bring it up again every Sunday in the morning sermon. Maybe just once, you know, 15 years later as an illustration. But other than that, I'm not going to make you pay. But, I mean, that's, but that's what love does. You know, we accept responsibility for the other person's failure, and we pay for it. We pay for it. Um, love takes on others' debts. We make others' problems our own, and we pay for them um, with whatever, whatever capital is needed. Secondly, love also considers its own debts. Love considers its own debts. Paul is urging Philemon to do the loving thing of being reconciled to Onesimus and treating him as family. And in verse 19, he says this. He he says, uh, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. I mean, he says, I'm not going to mention the fact that you owe me your own self, but he does mention it, right, and saying he's not going to mention it. But he's reminding Philemon of the fact that Philemon isn't perfect himself. Philemon owes a lot to others. Philemon owes a lot to Paul. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is a reference to the, the fact that very likely Philemon became a Christian through Paul's ministry and Paul's preaching of the gospel and sharing Jesus with him. And so Philemon owes a massive debt to Paul because it's through Paul that he came to understand the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus. He has hope and he has peace and he has purpose now that he didn't have before. He owes an immense debt to Paul. And Paul reminds him of it. He's like, you know, as you think about the way that you're going to deal with Onesimus who has offended you, don't forget. You owe others. Don't forget. You need to humble yourself, Philemon, and realize you're not perfect. You don't have it all together yourself. And that's an important aspect of love. In order to love people well, we need to be humble enough to recognize that we aren't perfect ourselves, that we owe a massive debt to all sorts of other people. We owe a debt to all sorts of other people, and we ultimately owe a debt to God for everything that we have and all that we are. We are debtors, all of us. And when we realize that we are all debtors, that we, are all, uh, it, that, that we all owe many things to, to all sorts of other people, it, it humbles us enough to, to not be quick to write people off or to judge them. It makes us more open to reaching out and helping them in the midst of their need. It enables us to see others when we're humble and we're aware of our own need, our own imperfections, and our own sin. So love takes on others' debts and love considers its own debts. But lastly, love spends more than is required. Love spends more than is required. As as Paul writes, he's not only hoping Philemon will answer the call to love, but he's confident that Philemon will do more than he asks. In verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say, right? Paul knows a lot about Philemon. He's already talked about how Philemon has demonstrated a massive amount of love to all of the people in the church in Colossae. That's where they were. He was known as being a loving person. And so because he knows that 
that Philemon is a man of love, he knows that Philemon is going to do more. He's going to do more than even Paul is asking. We're not sure exactly what Paul is insinuating here. Does he mean he wants, he, he's expecting Philemon not to just forgive Onesimus, but actually set him free? Or is he, is he saying he, Paul is actually, Onesimus has helped Paul with his ministry. Maybe Paul is insinuating that, uh, or implying that Philemon might want to set him free to go back and help Paul with more of his ministry. We're not sure, but he's, he knows that Philemon is going to do more than what is required, more than the bare minimum. And that's what love does. Love is extravagant. Love goes beyond what is necessary. Love, um, love is extra. Love doesn't just meet the need, but it goes beyond. To pour out blessing and encouragement on those who are being loved. Our natural instinct for uh, all of us, I think our natural instinct is to, to think, first of all, as we're thinking about, if we, as we have an opportunity to love somebody, I think our natural instinct is to think, first of all, about ourselves and say, what can I afford to give? Whether it's our money or our time, or our energy, what, what can I afford to give and help in this situation? How much can I afford to give? Whereas love, instead of thinking first of myself and what I can afford, it thinks first of the other person and what do they most need and what will bring them the greatest joy. I think that's why love moves us to go beyond what's just the bare minimum and actually to, to give more than is required. And this may be a, a really small, silly example. When it comes to, to tipping people, I don't know what your guys uh, perspective is on tipping, but we, we've, we've come to a place in our world where, like, everywhere you go, you know, people are hoping you're going to tip them. Um, even if you go to the fast food place, you know, you can't pay without, like, it coming up on the screen, and they'll give you the choice, how much do you want to tip? And if you don't want to tip, you have to, like, make the conscious decision, no, I'm not going to tip you. You know, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's, I, there's all sorts of, you know, mental wrestling that goes on in my, my head and my heart, really when I'm faced with that decision. But, uh, but I've, I've, again, I've grown. I've, I've grown in this area of, of tipping people, whereas I used to think, when I, was, when I tipped people, I used to think, okay, what is the minimum amount I need to give and not look like a jerk? You know? What can I get away with? What, what's, the, what's the least amount I can li- give? And, th- and that's expected of people, you know? And, uh, and honestly, I, I have grown to the point where, where when I have opportunities to tip people... Um, I, I, at least in my own mind, I'm like giving more because I'm thinking, what will most bless this person? What will, what will surprise them with joy as I tip them? And it's all relative, right? My, probably in my mind, this extravagant gift of a tip is probably you know, measly compared to some other people. But we're all in process, right? But I mean, that's, that's what, what love does is love thinks about the other person. And how can I bless this other person? It doesn't think, first of all, how much can I afford to give right now? And so love ends up giving more. Giving more than is required, more than is expected. And so that's the question I want to ask you guys this morning. I mean, as you think about loving people, this may be the hardest part out of all of them. Maybe they're all difficult, but this might be the hardest one. It's, 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 our natural inclination is to kind of do the bare minimum as we, as we love people. And, and that, you know, that's okay. I, I, I'll give you, you know, just an illustration from our own lives. We, 
pretty much all of you guys know that we have done foster care for many years, and then we adopted our three little boys a year ago. And a lot of people look at us, and they're like, oh, they're such saints that they've done this thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's not normal, it's not usual that, like, people do that sort of thing. But, but, like, so we've adopted these boys, and it's easy for me to be like, okay, we've given these guys a home, a place of stability, they have stuff that they wouldn't necessarily have. Um, and so I've succeeded at loving these guys. But see, the problem is they need more than that. They want more than that. Um, you know, like uh, the, the oldest one, he's you know, constantly asking if, uh, if I'll play soccer with him in the backyard. When I would rather stay inside. I would rather do what I want to do and stay in the air conditioning and go outside and get sweaty and stand in the goal and have him kick the ball at me. <laughs> but, but that's what love takes, right? It goes beyond what we think is necessary. It goes beyond the bare minimum. Our, again, the, this being the last week was the last week of school, and, and so the kids didn't have as much homework, or they didn't have any homework, right? And so uh, one of the days, several kids from the neighborhood were over in our backyard. And, uh, you know, isn't it nice enough, loving enough of us to just let them be in our backyard and play? And that's kind of where I left it last week, you know? But as I was doing this sermon, I was like, I was like, Dude, what do these kids need? A lot of these kids come from backgrounds that aren't very stable, where they have families that don't really give them a whole lot of supervision or a whole lot of attention. These kids need attention. They need somebody to, to care about them. They need somebody to, to actually be in, interested in knowing them and spending time with them. And uh, if it was a little further on in the week and I'd worked on the sermon a little more, I probably would have been convicted about going out there and letting all these kids kick balls at me in the, uh, in the goal. <laughs> And actually paying attention, and actually like getting drinks and bringing them out to them, you know? Like, that's what love does. Love goes beyond what is expected, beyond what is necessary, beyond the minimum. And Paul, as he thinks about Philemon, he's like, I know Philemon, I know he's going to do more. I know he's going to do more because he's a guy who loves people. He's known as a guy who loves people. So when, when you think about the demands of love, I mean, that's a lot. Because I don't want to go outside and get the balls kicked at me in the, in the, the, the blistering heat, right? Um, and these kids aren't really that easy to love. And they probably, although they're crying out for somebody to care about them and be interested in them, they, they don't act like that. <laughs> it's hard to do that. It's hard to take other people's debts as your own. It's hard to forgive people who have truly hurt you or let you down. It's hard to take another person's problem as your own and shoulder the burden of what they are dealing with or going through. And so how do we get to the point where we actually are spending more as we love people? How do we get to that point? Well, I, I, as I mentioned, I mean, Philemon is being asked to love in a very costly way. Right? He's being asked to love in a very costly way. What, what Paul is asking Philemon to do, I mean, from our perspective, I mean, nobody should own another person. This is reprehensible that he has slaves, and it should be a no-brainer for him. But what Paul, in that culture, where it is an institution that people depend on and is expected, and everybody 
you know, had slaves and things like that. For Philemon to then set his slave free would have been a difficult thing for him to do. It would have impacted the way other people looked at him and treated him. Other people, it would have impacted his house. I'm sure he had other slaves. What is he going to do with them? Is he going to set everybody free? How is that going to affect everything? I mean, they're real practical issues to, to actually loving well here. So Paul's asking him to do a lot. And, and I think I, I recognize what I think God's word asks of all of us is a lot. It's a lot. It's costly. It's costly. One thing that I've noticed, though, is that when it comes to paying for stuff, it gets easier to pay for things when you have more. Is it, doesn't it? I'll give you one more example of, of how bad of a father I am. Or how I'm growing. We'll say how I'm growing. I'm growing. Um, like, when our, our big kids were little, um, occasionally you would hear the, the ice cream truck driving through the neighborhood. And I would avoid that thing like the plague. I would, you know... I would get so annoyed with Kim when she wanted to go and take the kids and get ice cream from the ice cream truck. Sorry, guys. And so we rarely got ice cream from the ice cream truck. Rarely. Um, but it, we, we didn't have as much money then, right? It was like, if we were like spending money on the ice cream truck, I was like, are we going to have enough money to pay for the, the car to get fixed if it, get, if it needs it, you know? And th- this is the difference, though. Now, I have more money, we have more money than we used to. And... Just this last week, uh, on Monday after school, the kids, I picked up the kids from school. Kim was at the library working, and one of them was like, can we get ice cream from the ice cream truck? And I was like, absolutely, let's go get some ice cream. Our older kids are probably bitter now. They're like, these guys are so spoiled. (laughs) But I'm like, I don't think twice about it, because I'm not as worried, because I have more. You know? And I think... As you read this passage, one of the things that Paul does is, 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 is in a subtle way, but maybe it's not so subtle. I think it's really actually kind of obvious. He is reminding Philemon. I hope that Philemon notices this, and I hope you guys notice this. He's reminding Philemon in the way that he is acting, in the way that he's writing, in the way that he's talking to Philemon and asking for his request. He's reminding Philemon of everything that Jesus has done for him to give him the riches of God. Did you notice that as you read this? I hope you noticed that, that everything that Paul, the way that Paul is acting between Philemon and Onesimus is exactly the way that Jesus acts in the way God, in our relationship between God and us. When he says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. That is what Jesus has done. Every single one of us owes a massive debt, an infinite debt to God because of our sin. You know, Romans says the wages of sin is death. We owe this insurmountable debt to God because we have offended him and turned our backs on him and rebelled against him because we have failed to love the way he calls us to. And so we owe him a massive debt. And what Jesus has done is come and said, charge it to my account. He talks to his father and says, Father, I know they owe you everything, but I'm going to pay for it. And he went to the cross and he paid. He paid with his own life. You know, John, in the book of John, it talks about how Jesus, one of Jesus' last words is, it is finished. And the, the word that is used there, to telestize, is a word that was used, you know, when, when something was paid in full. 
right? Jesus paid our debt in full, completely. He took our debt upon himself in order to give us the riches of God's forgiveness. But it didn't, it didn't stop there. Jesus could have just paid for our sin and, and made a way for us to be forgiven so that we're on a clean slate with God. But it didn't stop there. Because not only did Jesus pay for our sin, but he lived a perfect life and he goes to the Father and he says, Father, we are one. I want you to treat them the way you treat me. Just like Paul says here, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. That's what Jesus has done. As he, as he goes to the Father, he says, receive them as you would receive me. Love them as you love me. So God not only forgives us, but if we receive what he has done, then God looks at us and delights in us, and he loves us just as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. Can you, can you even comprehend that? That is wealth beyond anything we can imagine. The riches of God's forgiveness and the riches of his favor and his love. I don't know if Paul does this, you know, on purpose, where he's like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trying try to, like, describe the way I'm acting here as what Jesus has done, or if he's just so, you know, consumed with the grace of Jesus that this just flows out of him, that, that that's who, this is who Paul is now. He, like, acts like Jesus in all his relationships. But I know that God means for Philemon to get the point here, and I think God means for us to get the point. As we think about loving others, do not forget how well you have been loved by God. The riches of his grace that he's poured out upon you. That's where you need to start. Delighting in. Reveling in the riches of God's love for you. And that's what will end up helping you begin to spend more. I mean, that's what it really means to be a Christian is we, we understand how well we've been loved, how much, how rich God's love is for us, and then we begin to be like, I need to learn how to spend this love. I was listening to a, a podcast where a, a comedian was being um, interviewed, a guy named uh, Sebastian Maniscuelco, I think his name is. I'm not sure how many of you guys know who he is. Um, I don't really listen to him as a comedian, but he's apparently got a movie coming out with Robert De Niro soon, and he's very successful. And, and he's talking about how when he was a kid, his family was incredibly poor, and his dad just drilled it into him, you know, like, save, 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 don't spend anything. And so that's even, even as he's had some success, and now he has more money, he's still like, I gotta save, I gotta save, I gotta save, I can't spend anything. And so, like, one of the things he was saying on the podcast is like, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to learn how to spend more. I'm starting to learn how to spend more. And I think that's what we need to do. Those of us who receive the riches of the gospel, we need to learn how to spend. How to spend on our kids. How to spend on our, our wife or our husband. How to spend on our other family members and our friends, our, our neighbors, the people, people we work with, the students that we go to school with. We need to learn how to spend and spend and spend some more. Let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for the, the gift of your son and the riches of your grace that go right along with that. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to receive the riches of your grace, to realize that you've, 
You've given us an infinite line of credit in the way that you've loved us. That we might be more free in the way that we love others, in the, in the way that we spend our money on others, in the way that we spend our time on others, in the way that we spend just our attention and, and our, our energy. Father, make us people who are generous with our lives and ourselves and our love because of the way that you have so generously loved us in Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to fix our attention on the riches of God's grace at the Lord's table and to celebrate all that he has given us and all that he's done for us.